Happy New Year. Um, may God bless us with an abundance of his grace and power and joy in the new year. Like it's just another day, just another week, just another calendar, but uh, we live in cycles and uh, we look forward with anticipation for, to what God has ahead for us. On Thursday evening, I started a new uh, phone message series on the Lord's Prayer, New Year, New Series. Don't really do series on Thursday evenings, but I uh, decided to, this, uh, to start this new year on the Lord's Prayer. It's old material, but uh, seems like always really good and new. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new six-week series of sermons on our values, our stated values at our church for us as a congregation, uh, grounded in the Scripture, but articulated as these six values that we have, which go like this. Uh, following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Some of you have those memorized. Uh, cheers for you. Uh, some of you may not. Whether you do or not, let's uh, speak those uh, together now. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Very good. And this morning we're going to look uh, at just the opening line from those values, the introduction, the prologue, kind of the overarching idea or background statement, following the Lord Jesus, we strive to. Uh, but before we get too far into that, let's uh, one more time again pray and ask God to help us in this endeavor. Let's pray together. As God, we have uh, sung and uh, enjoyed uh, listening to and being a part of uh, your praise vocally, outwardly, audibly uh, this morning already. Uh, help us to uh, subject ourselves to you, to your majesty, to your kingship, uh, to your glory, uh, to your authority as we open your word and listen to your words together. Through them, we ask that you would deepen us, that you would open our eyes, that we would grow more and more into your likeness. Uh, plant seeds in us that will grow and bring you glory and bring us joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your words, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way, shape, or form from your word, may they be forever forgotten. Amen. All right, this is Taylor Swift. In case you didn't know, or for those of you who didn't know, and I'm not uh, one, of, uh, one of the people who knows a lot about these things, Taylor Swift, though, has a very large following or followership as a singer, as a songwriter, as an entrepreneur, as a pop culture influencer. And she is only 34 years old. She has sold more than 200 million records. She holds 
117 Guinness World Records, different kind of record, but nevertheless, 117 World Records, uh, Guinness World Records. And honestly, that's just kind of the beginning of Taylor Swift. That's the tip of the iceberg. Tens of millions of people, tens of millions of people have bought her music. Hundreds of millions of people listen to her music. Many millions of people pay large amounts of money to go to her concerts. They read about her. They uh, value what she values. They dress like she dresses. They allow or choose to be influenced by her in ways such as when Taylor Swift dates an NFL player, all of a sudden they develop this interest in football, which they have previously known nothing about and cared nothing about. This is true. In fact, her followers have a name. Many of you know this. Swifties. Yeah, I thought that was a thing that people swept like a little sweeping device, but like, no, Swifties. And yet, uh, Taylor Swift is not the most followed person on Twitter, formerly known as uh, X, X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Twitter's top 10 uh, most followed people look like this. Number 10, Lady Gaga. Number 9, Donald Trump. Number 8, Narendra Modi, the president of India. Number 7, here's Taylor Swift. Number 6, Katy Perry. Number five, Rihanna. Number four, Cristiano Ronaldo, a soccer player. Number three, Justin Bieber. Number two, Barack Obama. And number one, Elon Musk himself. Over on Instagram, Taylor Swift comes in at number 15 behind the likes of soccer players Messi and Ronaldo, actor and professional wrestler Wayne Johnson, four of the Kardashians slash Jenners, Beyonce and Bieber, et cetera, Justin Bieber, et cetera. Of these two huge global platforms that were both founded in the United States and kind of driven, as far as I know, by sort of a United States audience, uh, in a country that is supposedly Christian, it's not easy to find anyone among their most followed people and among their most followed accounts who could or would even want to be identified as a follower of Jesus, as distinctly Christian, who would identify themselves as a representative of Jesus. And of course, uh, Jesus has never had a Twitter account. Jesus doesn't have an Instagram account of his own. And yet, interestingly, Jesus called people to follow him. And this needs a little unpacking, which the scriptures help us with. So uh, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 4, beginning at uh, verse 18. It's the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus' baptism, then his temptation in the wilderness. Then he begins his preaching, and now this, chapter 4, verse 18. Listen closely. This is the Word of God. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets uh, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat, their vocation, how they spent their time, and they left their father their family, and they followed Jesus. 
And obviously Peter and Andrew and James and John didn't pull out their smartphones at the same time, dial up their Twitter or Instagram apps and hit click or like, and in that way follow Jesus. No, Jesus was calling them to something very different than a like or a follower on an app or a phone. He was calling them to a different way, to a different thing, to a different category, to a way of life and being. In first century Judaism, students would go to rabbis and students would ask the rabbis if they, the students, could study under them, under a particular rabbi. It was like applying to colleges, which my kids have been in the middle of for a couple of years. It was like applying to colleges. Students went to rabbis. But with Jesus, with Rabbi Jesus, things were exactly the opposite. Rabbi Jesus went to people, and he invited them, and he called them to come and follow him, to be his students to be his apprentices, to learn from him, to be with him. And the ordinary word in the disciple for this thing, reality, category, way, is disciple. And we have to, I don't know what that was, we have to reclaim this word disciple from the Sunday school felt boards, where the disciples were simply Jesus' uh, 12 merry men, the 12 merry men who traveled around with Jesus and just sort of were his entourage. We have to reclaim this word. The Greek word is mathetes. Uh, they were, a mathete was a learner, a student, a pupil, and uh, a really prominent modern lexicon says a committed learner. So the question for us this morning is how is your learning coming? A disciple is not someone who has arrived or who has finished a curriculum or who has gotten a certificate or a degree. A disciple, or more specifically, a disciple of Jesus, is someone who is continually learning how to do and learning how to be what Jesus would have that person be, learning how to do what Jesus would have that person do. And it's a continual committed learning journey. Learning to do what Jesus would do if Jesus was in one's shoes. Not learning to be Jesus, but learning to do what Jesus would do if he was in my shoes or your shoes. So how is your learning coming? How is my learning coming? How is your becoming coming? What are the progress reports for my heart and my mind and my intellect and my will look like? Am I committed to the curriculum? Am I devoted to my teacher, to my rabbi? A disciple is someone who learns by following her teacher, master rabbi, closely. A disciple's goal was to learn by emulating his rabbi's every move, not only listening and learning about the rabbi's instructions, but watching, observing, emulating, imitating, becoming. There was a popular blessing back in Jesus' day that stated, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea meant that a person followed so closely behind a rabbi, 
and almost walked in his very steps, such close proximity that the dust from his sandals would end up covering one. Not just their feet, their ankles, their legs, but their whole person immersed in. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The dust kicked up by his doing, his living, his being, his going, his caring, his speaking, his acting. So I can go to church, and you've all come to church this morning. Those of you who are, are online with us this morning, you've dialed us up on your devices. I can go to church. I can read along in a Bible plan. I can memorize verses of Scripture. I can wear Christian jewelry. I can quote famous Christians on my MySpace account. But to follow Jesus so closely as this whole dust imagery metaphor requires taking a new set of risks of being willing to go wherever Jesus went and think about the places that he went. Taking new risks, going where one previously may have never considered going and don't want to go necessarily. Seeing the world differently, treating various people differently, thinking of myself differently, thinking of money and work and play and success and failure, all very differently. But to such, in such an adventure, Jesus calls every one of us. It's this living, active, continual call. So the word Christian, and some of you know this, shows up in the Bible three times. Three times. But the word disciple, which connotes this learning, striving, following, proximity, adventure, shows up almost 300 times in the New Testament. How is my learning from Rabbi Jesus going? And why Jesus at all? Among all the other people and things one can follow, and millions of people follow millions of people in our world, why Jesus? Why might uh, one make a case for Jesus being at the top of Twitter and Instagram? For starters, he's arguably the, arguably the most positively influential person who's ever lived in human history. He's the most unique person in human history. He was, by reliable accounts, the God-man, the one. He was, as Peter professed, the only one who has words of eternal life. He is the resurrected one. Albert Einstein said that he, Einstein, was enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Dallas Willard calls Jesus the smartest man who ever lived and the strongest person who ever lived. And if one doesn't give those titles to Jesus, then one will give those titles to someone else, period. If you don't give to Jesus the title of the smartest man who ever lived, then you're gonna give it to someone else. If you don't give to Jesus the title of strongest person who ever lived, then you're gonna give that to someone else. If you don't give the title most admirable or virtuous person who's ever lived to Jesus, 
then you will eventually, one way or another, give that title to someone else, and then you're in a whole lot of trouble. Then you're in a whole lot of trouble. Jesus' disciples and others called Jesus Lord, which in Greek has this variety of meanings, and in Hebrew even more. Jesus' disciples, his followers, they all called him Lord, which could mean something as simple as sir in the English language, a kind of a term of respect. We grew up in the South saying yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, sir. But on the other end of the spectrum of possible meanings for this term in Greek is God, with a capital L, Lord. And it's clear from context that over and over and over, Jesus' disciples mean God when they refer to, they mean master, they mean Lord, they mean king. All of these meanings are wrapped up when over and over and over throughout the gospels, Jesus' disciples call him Lord. And not only Lord, but the Lord when not speaking to him directly, but referring to him. When Thomas, at the, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, G Thomas uh, proclaims to Jesus, my Lord and my God, which gives us an idea of what Thomas meant very clearly when he called Jesus Lord. My Lord and my God. Jesus stands above all of the other gods of human history all of the other gods of our world today. And so we talk about following in our values the Lord Jesus. Understanding that he is set apart, that he is different, that he is above, that as the author of the book of Hebrews says, he is superior in every way to the angels, to the prophets, to the heavenly beings, to the priests, to everyone who has ever been and ever gone before him and ever will come after and so we talk about following the Lord Jesus, going wherever he goes, wherever he may lead, doing whatever he leads one to do. And this can be really hard, especially for people who have inadvertently been taught by the church, in the church, that Jesus simply calls people to go to church from time to time, and also then just to sit there. This is kind of the inadvertent message I grew up with. To go to church, that's what Jesus calls us to do, and to sit there, and more importantly, to believe. We have to believe, to believe this, to believe that. And this is what much of the church needs to unlearn and learn. Jesus didn't only call men and women to learn about him or to read and memorize scripture or to say or affirm the right things or even to believe, though there is a place for all of these things. Jesus called people to go where he went and to do the sorts of things that he did in the way that Jesus did them and with the power of God with which he did them. Follow me. At the end of Matthew's gospel and what we call Jesus' great commission, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Most of us know those words. And the church, in my experience, is primarily, primarily focused on two facets of that passage, those verses, Jesus' final words, the Great Commission. First, go to all nations. 
This is the call to global missions and to the universality of the gospel. Second, baptize people, put water on people, or immerse them in water in the name of and in the power of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But notice what we often overlook, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do, to be, to become, school, learning, discipleship, following. Jesus didn't say, teach them everything I taught you. Notice, Jesus said, Teach them to obey everything I have taught you to obey. To obey, to do, to apprentice, to learn continually with the goal of becoming more like one's teacher, rabbi, master, so that each day one comes a little closer to doing what Jesus would have done if he was in one's shoes. And can this be, does this sound daunting? Can it be challenging? Absolutely, yes. But is this always, every time good? Yes, yes, and yes. Does this take effort? Yes. Will this take effort? Yes. And there is nothing wrong with effort. Effort, along with intention, is a part of the equation. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. It is opposed to the attitude of earning, accomplishment, merit, deserving. Effort is action. And combined with and wrapped up in God's grace is always good and nothing but good. And our action as a congregation and body and family is explicitly directed in five directions. Not only these five directions, but particularly these directions. Loving all people unconditionally. Serving our neighbors generously, advancing God's purposes globally, cultivating spiritual growth, pouring into the next generation intentionally cultivating spiritual growth continuously. And we say strive to follow Jesus in these ways that we will. And some have argued, a couple of people in the congregation over the last few years when we've been working these values, have objected to the term strive, saying that it reeks of works-based salvation, to which I respond that the Apostle Paul in four different books in the New Testament explicitly speaks of striving, that word, including, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul wrote, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Always strive. And I have to confess, like time of confession, hi, my name is Shannon, I'm a sinner. Welcome. At times, there's so little striving in this way in my life. And it's so easy to get busy and to get into a rut and on a track and to go around in circles and just keep going and to forget. Jesus doesn't call us to kill ourselves, but the scriptures, Jesus, Paul, do call us to intentionally strive. And I see you, I know you, we all strive after certain things. Do we strive in and toward these things, these five, and things like them? In Jesus' own words, seek first God's kingdom. It's a kind of striving, I think. Seek and let the first thing that you seek, pursue, go after, strive, be God's kingdom. And Jesus says, when we do, as we do, all the other things that we need, 
will come along with that, will be given to us in that by a loving father. For far too long, the church has understood, even by those who are members, the church has been understood as only a center for religious life. Doesn't that just sound awful in some ways? I mean, good in some ways, but awful. In the church is a center for religious life or a location for worship or a worship center. And certainly the church is these things and there's some goodness about them for sure. But the church is also called to be a training center, like a gym, like a dojo, like an academy, where someone trains with God's help and in God's grace to be able to do one day what one cannot do currently in the realm of following Jesus and these five things that we'll talk about over the next five weeks that we'll dig into, to learn how to obey what Jesus taught his disciples to do and obey, Great Commission again. How do we love all people unconditionally? Like if someone's figured that one out right here and is able to do that on a regular basis, just, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but see me after worship so that like you can help me figure out how to do that. If you've mastered learning, uh, serving your neighbors generously, like help, let's, let's, help each other in that realm as we strive. And with those other three as well. In Jesus' own words, seek first God's kingdom. And isn't this like I didn't make any resolutions for the new year, but if I was, or if you do or have, add to that, seek first God's kingdom this year. Pursue it, look for it, go after it. All right, I'm gonna close with this conversation between Jesus and Peter at the end of John's gospel. It's, uh, it's after Peter has denied even knowing Jesus, three times, right? Jesus is on trial, he's being tossed, uh, moved from one uh, group of leaders to another. Peter denies knowing him three times. I'll never deny you, three times. One, two, three. It's after that, it's after Jesus' crucifixion, it's after Jesus' resurrection goes this conversation, uh, known as uh, a part of Jesus restoring Peter. It goes like this. When they had finished eating uh, a little uh, meal on the side of the lake, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Jesus has welcomed him back in, and he is again using the language of Lord. Denied knowing him, and now he's sort of, oh, yes crucified and risen Jesus, you are the Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, uh, do you love me? Simon, son of John, Peter answered, yes, Lord. His whole life is now reoriented around one person and with him one reality, summed up in the word Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, but Jesus may have asked him the third time to remind him of his three times and to put all of that in the past for good. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. And so follow me is not just opening words, get off the boat, let's go for a walk, but it's a call for life. It's a call to a kind of life. And it's not just once, but it's continual. It's not just checking a box, but it's learning and allowing in God's grace uh, a person to be refined, restored, refined by God for God's purposes and God's glory. We, the church, must follow Jesus, not as people follow others on Instagram or Twitter with a click or a like, but rather with all of one's heart and mind and soul and strength and resources. And the promise of God along with that is joy for his people and the coming of his kingdom all around the earth, just like it is in heaven. Let's pray. Help us, God, to hear your word and your words, your invitation and your call, and in that, uh, opportunity and challenge and grace and adventure. Your heart, not just for those you call, but for the whole world. Uh, we confess sometimes that sort of walls can go up for us when uh, things feel difficult or stressful or anxious or uncertain. We confess that we're not always all in, that we don't step off of the boat as soon as we hear your voice. We thank you that you're patient with us, with me, that you know us as we are and for who we are, and you love us fully and completely nevertheless. We rely on your mercy we cling to your grace. Your grace is our food, our drink, our sustenance, our life. Thank you for that exhibited in and through, demonstrated in and through, made manifest in and through your beloved son Jesus, in whom we have life and re-life and eternal life. We thank you and we breathe in your life and your grace through your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.